Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Welcome back to Breaking Banks. We have two friends of the show joining us today. Matt Dooley, he's the fintech and customer experience executive who's uh, driven change at two of the world's top banks and uh, often uh, a host when we have Asian topics. Matt, welcome back to the show. How are things at Connected Asia? Oh, everything's going well. Um, we're, we're really bouncing back from uh, COVID. Uh, we've got zero lo- local cases at the moment. So things, fingers crossed, uh, let's, let, let's hope the remainder of this year is a positive one. Well, as we uh, as we record this, I'm about to head back from Bangkok to New York, and the thought terrifies me <laughs> going back to the US <laughs> right now. But anyway, but of course, Katie uh, is there, so uh, that's that's why I'm heading back. We also have joining us Ben Quinlan. He is the CEO, managing director of Quinlan Associates. Um, but Ben, uh, I thought what we'd do to um, introduce you is play a a quick clip that you did from uh, the HK uh, uh, UST uh, TEDx talk on creativity back in 2018. Here's Ben Quinlan talking about creativity on TEDx. I remember one of the incidences that I, I ran into is the old firm I worked at was divided in different practice groups, and I was in the corporate and institutional banking practice group. But then a project was sold for a big bank in IT and CRM, customer relationship management strategy, to develop the whole new CRM tool. The partners came to me and said, Ben, all of our IT managers are completely staffed out. Can you, you, know, can you lead this project? And I was like, <gasps> I said, look, I have trouble with Google and Facebook, so this is going to be a bit of a disaster. And they said, don't worry, you know, don't worry. Just you have the lead partner there, you do the strategic thinking around it, and we'll support you with the technicalities. And I was like, right. So we flew to the client, and I remember the first meeting. I was walking with the partner, and we're walking to the meeting, and it was with the head of IT, chief technology officer, 15 enterprise architects. I don't even know what these things were. And right before we go in, the partner gets a call, and he's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, hold on. Hey, Ben, I got to take this. Can you start the meeting without me? (laughs) Excuse me? I said, absolutely not. He goes, yeah, you know your stuff. You know your stuff. So he put me in that room, and I just made sure I delayed all the introductions as long as possible. Very nice to meet you. Oh, this is my business card again. Nice to meet you. Went around the table, and I was with one of my consultants with me who also didn't know anything about the subject domain. So we're sitting there, and the first thing is, oh, look, uh, Ben, it's really good to have you here for this project. We know you've got a lot of experience in this area. Uh, but before we, before we go and look at the CRM strategy for this, uh, for this bank, can you just give us your 30,000 foot view on some of the key uh, data architecture issues here are at this bank? What? Yeah, and I literally, I literally, creativity, right? Thinking on your feet. 
These are the tricks of a management consultant sometimes. So I said, well, data architecture is a very big term, you know. I can, I can lecture you about it, you know, for hours. Why don't you be a bit more specific and focus on something that maybe I can give you some tangible, you know, tangible advice. So then he starts talking, and the second he starts talking, I lean over to my consultant and I said, give me the client's presentation. So he hands over the client document, and as he's talking, I'm just nodding, and yep, 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 and I'm flicking through all the pages, just trying to grab at anything. And eventually I see this thing, Murex 4.1. So he finishes off his sentence and I go, all right, so for example, your Murex platform, and he goes, yep. And I said, I imagine you're operating a 4.1? And he goes, yeah, that's right. I go, have you thought about, <laughs> have you thought about upgrading to a 4.0? And he's like, 4.2? I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the guys in the room was like, that's what I said. Wow, this is like disco lighting. This is, this is great. <laughs> One of the guys was like, this is what I said. And I go, really? Well, you keep going with what you're saying. I literally just worked this room for an hour. Just people constantly making statements and me repeating that statement. That's a great idea. Oh, yeah, I agree with Tim. That's good. John, excellent point of view. <laughs> I left the meeting and the head of IT came up to me and said, mate, brilliant. You're a genius. I can't wait to, can't wait to work with you. Okay, so Ben, um, welcome formally to the show. How are you? Cheers, Brett. Very well. Recovering from tonsillitis, but otherwise still have my voice uh, intact, so it's all right. There you go. Um, well, you also mentioned in that clip that you're a stand-up comic um, in uh, your part-time. You, uh, you, you're the son of a, uh, a celebrated mus musician and a former Hong Kong model, but you ended up being a, a stand-up comic and a banker. So um, what are the commonalities between um, banking, finance and, st and stand-up? I'd say, to be honest, at the end of it, it's just about reading and understanding your audience. Stand-up, I would say, is the best form of communication on earth. Live, reactive, real-time, paying attention. And if you can work a stand-up room, uh, a boardroom, in all honesty, is a piece of piss. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, um, you know, I, I often my, my brother did a bit of stand up. Actually, I, I've I, I've thought about playing with with it, doing a fintech stand up routine. You and I can talk about that offline. But um, good. you've uh, worked on a report most recently um, with the fintech association of Hong Kong, looking mm -hmm. at uh, what you refer to as the VB landscape. This is not uh, VB that uh, Matt and I are used to. Victoria Bitter. Vitamin I'm B. Australian too, just Liquid. to be clear. I know that VB. Yeah. <laughs> VB. But you're, of course, talking about virtual banking. Um, yes. And so um, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority uh, has uh, now issued eight virtual banking licenses. Am I correct? That's correct. Yep. Now, um, Matt, just before we jump into the report, um, can you give us a bit of uh, sort of perspective here? You've been involved in the FinTech Association for, since its foundation, of course, but you've been in Hong Kong for 20-odd years now. And so you saw the before and after of the HKMA sort of recent changes 
um, you know, including the virtual banking um, charter that was set up and so forth. Because, um, you know, I, I've talked about this on the show before, but it'd be good to get your perspective. Um, the HKMA, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, which is the primary regulator, they weren't always so keen on fintechs, were they? They, they definitely in the early days when China and Singapore were both firing in respect to fintech, Hong Kong was a little bit more circumspect and tended to favour the incumbents. Would you would you say that's accurate? I think that's totally. I think the HKMA has been a very prudent kind of regulator and really uh, strong regulator. And I think that's one of the strengths of Hong Kong is that it's well regulated. But for 150 years, uh, the little territory of Hong Kong has been the in and out of of uh, China. And it's taken goods into China, but also taken goods and services outside of China. And they see a real opportunity with fintech because when you look at the epicenter of what we think in global terms for fintech in innovation, and it's not Silicon Valley anymore, it's actually what we call the GBA, which is the Ch greater China Bay area. And that that is really the home of, uh, it encompasses both Shenzhen, Macau, Hong Kong, and about 15 other cities. And, and really, when you look at uh, Tencent and WeChat is just to the north of here, you know, 20 minutes to the border and then across. Um, there's a lot of innovations that have happened in, in, in uh, China. And how do you bring that innovation out? And I think that's a real opportunity that the HKMA actually saw. So I would actually label that they've created a fintech tsunami. And that tsunami really started about five years ago. So in 2016, they really launched a, a supervisory sandbox. But as you said, Brett, it really focused on the incumbents and trying to get the incumbents to actually play with innovation in the sandbox. And in 2017, they launched an initiative looking at banking made easy. And it was an initiative to help incumbents not be restricted by by regulatory frameworks and stuff. And that it was to reduce that regulatory friction was the opportunity. But in 2018, they really changed. They opened up some initiatives to change the foundation of financial innovation for Hong Kong, the infrastructure. So they launched uh, the Open API initiative, so to allow internal IT systems and data for, uh, for access to third parties um, that are outside the bank. They launched faster pay payments uh, system, so really an infrastructure for instant payments 24-7 across all the banks, across all the other payment providers. And then the HKMA facilitated the launch of a blockchain-based trade finance platform, um, which was fully funded by a consortium of major banks in Hong Kong. So with that foundation in place, in 2019, they announced eight uh, virtual banking licenses. And they've all been operational now for about a year. So it's a great time to actually look at that. And just last month, they launched... Um, a, an initiative to grant a grant for proof of concepts for fintechs in Hong Kong and for international fintechs to try and do POCs with incumbents. So it's really trying to foster that innovation through collaboration with fintechs and I also, uh, the banks here in Hong Kong. 
I also saw that Hong Kong has now been uh, enlisted just the last few days to participate in the CBDC, CD, CBDC trials. Oh, Easy for you to say. Yes. Um, you know, so we know obviously Shenzhen has been a strong city participating in the uh, um, Digital One trials, but it's now uh, co-opted, co-opted Hong Kong. So um, that's that's pretty cool. Um, ben, I am going to I am going to call 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 out you. you. You did a report back in 2018 called "Fool's Gold: Unearthing the World of Cryptocurrency." Yep. Um, you were pretty bearish on uh, Bitcoin at the time. Um, yep. You know, it's now, uh, um, I don't know what the price is today, but it was uh, hovering in the mid-50s, uh, mid-50,000s. I'm just going to check while we're talking. Um, 57, 58. 57K. Um, do you think it's, uh, you know, what's your outlook now? Do you think it's going to go below 40K? Do you think it's going to go up to 200 uh, look, the, when we released that report, we actually came up with four, what you call more fundamental ways to evaluate something with no fundamentals. That was the, the irony of it. But everything pointed to a number that we were spot on. So we were actually the most accurate forecaster in the world, according to Bloomberg that year. We also did call the 2019-2020 rebounds but we did not think it would be led by Bitcoin. And if you look at all the, the you know, the furore going around and the, the FOMO, I know when all of my mother's friends and a couple of people that I haven't spoken to in years and Facebook are reaching out saying, should I invest? And I, again, like my, my answer to this is it's worth whatever you'll pay for it. Just leave it at that. And whether I think it's worth X dollars or Y dollars, it's not, I, I think it fails permanently as a currency i'm just going to say that well i i think the the key problem bitcoin has is um you know if you're thinking of it as a currency then um the problem is bitcoin has a design flaw which is a 21 million limit and that creates inflationary speculation so it's Mm -hmm. never going to be a currency it's a it's digital gold it's a crypto asset but it has you know, you said, uh, you know, you're talking about the fundamentals without fundamentals, but, you know, um, given that it is uh, now 12, 13 years old, you'd have to say that Bitcoin has sort of created some fundamentals around cryptocurrency that, um, you know, are interesting to look at for the 21st. But uh, anyway, um, let's well, get just to- the one thing I would the one thing I would say on that is anything related to crypto that is designed to, to support the trading ecosystem and investment ecosystem I'm double thumbs up for but anything around it to support a genuine use case I'm very very skeptical uh, and still this many years later you're right 11 12 years show me the evidence where this actually works in a sense that it trumps what fiat can do uh, and I haven't seen it and it's not going to exist for a long time or yeah mm-hmm. Good. Good feedback. Um, Tell me about your latest report, which is uh, called Branching Off the Outlook for Hong Kong's Virtual Banks. And, um, you know, you know, by by all intents and purposes, Hong Kong's a pretty small market. Um, you know, what about eight million population with already some of the biggest banks in the world like HSBC there? Is there room for um, for these eight new virtual banks, the challenger banks that have entered the market? Yeah, a very good question. I mean, if you look at just the top four big banks here, so HSBC, 
Bank of China, Hong Kong, Standard Chartered, and Hang Seng. They mop up about 62% of the deposit share and about 54% of the, the loans and advances market, right? So they've really cornered a big part of it. But there's 172 Is that fairly static as it go up and down? Uh, it's been like that for, for, for quite a while. So the remaining 40-odd percent of the market is taken up by another 168 authorised deposit-taking institutions here, right? That's that's a lot of the market, like sporadically and fragmented, taken up by many, many small players. Now, Hong Kong by no means is an underbanked market. It's not an unbanked market either, but it's very arguably a heavily underserved market. And for some for something with such a rich financial ecosystem for the services of the incumbents to still be this poor, uh, the response mm. of the VBs, you know, off the bat has been really quite favorable and positive for many of them. Now, the question is, can you sustain that momentum for coming years and overcome the, the original challenges? It's easy to put a nice deposit rate on there and attract customers, but you're talking long-term path to profitability, winning over customer hearts and minds um, and doing something fundamentally unique, not just rolling out yet another banking service, right, which is heavily, heavily commoditized. And and they appear to be... Um not maybe too early to say taking market share, but there's, um, the virtual banks are, are definitely gaining customers, right? Well, for sure. I think there's there's been an initial very strong response. Uh, I think that some of the VBs have pretty good deposit balances for the very early few months they've been around, uh, a few hundred thousand customers all up. Uh, we're predicting probably 1.9 million customers by the end of 2025, which is about a quarter of Hong Kong's population. These are all very feasible numbers. This is right. the this is the aggregate for all eight, right? This is not looking at one in isolation. So, yeah. Now, the the effect of the challenges in the UK market has been, you know, by some accounts, uh, and Matt, feel free to jump in here. Pretty devastating for the UK banks. Certainly, HSBC, Lloyd's, RB have all lost customers to um, the new challenger banks in the UK. But the, the bigger, the bigger uh, change has been they've been really been forced to up their game in terms of customer experience. And so, um, you know, um, I'll get your, your comments here, guys. You know, um, obviously when you look at the, the likes of HSBC and Standard Chart, um, part of their digital platform, um, you know, uh, legacy, is complacency. They don't they don't update their websites very often. The internet banking, um, you know, for HSBC has has been um, you know updated twice in twenty years. Um, and so, what do you think the effect of the virtual banks will be in in respect to raising um, you know those CX expectations like we've seen in the UK? I mean, I'll, I'll share a few thoughts. I'm sure Matt Matt has a lot to say on this, but look, even just the just just take it from the first experience of onboarding, right? In Hong Kong, if you wanted to set up a bank account, you would go with your your ID, your address proof. You'd go to the branch, you'd sign off on a lot of paperwork. It'd take you a few days. If you're an SME, good luck. This could be a few weeks or a few months. 
uh, depending on how complex you are or the nature of the business you're involved in. Um, I did my VB bank sign up and all the, the VB CEOs were touting it would be two, three, four minutes to sign up. And I was thinking, really? And it was. It was super fast. And that that's a fundamental change in your first experience with a bank. Now, the question is whether that experience can ride throughout your whole journey as a customer and everything can be so smooth and sequentially done. But that initial prima facie, I've set up my bank account, it's a big, big win. Uh, and it's forcing, I think, a lot of the other incumbents to rethink, do we need to get to this position? Because it's going to take a while. It's not that fast. The first thing they've done is cut all their fees, right? Immediately overnight, cut all their fees and said, well, we're, we're zero cost, no minimum balance too. So we can price compete the hell out of you right here. But the experience part is really where they need to step up their game even more. Matt, over to you. I'm sure you have plenty to say. Well, HSBC about two years ago launched Pay Me and Pay Me for Business. And I think their their strategy, they're the only note issuing bank in Hong Kong. There's there's three others. But um, both both uh, uh, standard chartered with Mox Bank and PCCW or um, Bank of China with PCCW have have launched. Um, a VB license as well, in addition to their own bank. So they're, they're, they're looking at the, the, the virtual bank to, to join. So it. HSBC often, hasn't. That they haven't, but they've they've done a lot of ecosystem work around the Pay Me ecosystem and reaching out to both merchants and individuals, giving opportunities. So they're trying to, to build an, an, a, a mobile wallet ecosystem, are they? They have, they have, and they've been very successful at doing yeah. that. Um, but you you look at what makes Hong Kong different is these aren't just virtual banks. It's not like the UK or Australia or the US in the sense of just giving you a, a slither of financial services um, like retail banking or even business banking. What they've done is they're it's each each one is a consortium. There's only I think ZA um, Zongan, uh, the the Chinese uh, insurer, which has gone gone alone. But all the others are really consortium of companies. So whether it's a telco or whether it's retailers or whether it's China tech companies, they've all come together. You've got you know some of the biggest names in China. Um, so the likes of. Tencent, uh, the the likes of Xiaomi, they've, they've all come down to to get involved and and financial, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know it's definitely it's definitely going to put the pressure on. Uh, um, certainly has uh, has in these these other markets. Um, in terms of the um, the the virtual banks, um, you talk about potential for about uh, a quarter of the the bank community. Is that what you said? Yeah, so we're saying about a quarter of the Hong Kong customers, we're saying about four point something percent of deposits, and we're saying a potential market revenue capture of about 19% by the end of 2025. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you, in the report, you look at sort of um, a, a different ways of measuring the market size, deposits, lending, revenue split, and market size in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Where do you think the opportunity here is? Obviously, north of the border, in the mainland, we've seen the mobile wallet schemes, um, you know, explode there. And, um, you know, the the end result of that with Alipay and Tencent 
WeChat Pay is they've captured a ton of deposit activity and a ton of lending activity. And so in China, I think it's fair to say that mobile wallets have surpassed um, the use of traditional day-to-day bank accounts based on a debit card or a passbook. Um, you, know, you know, I think it's what, it's about 78% of the population are on a mobile wallet today. Um, but so from a behavioural perspective, um, you know, in China and, you know, what we're seeing globally with the take-up of wallets, I've sort of characterised this as the smart bank account was, right, is that these wallets that add, you know, experiential elements, contextual elements, particularly around credits and savings, um, you know, uh, um, and because of the ease of use uh, are taking off. Um, Chinese mobile wallets have, have done uh, in, in 2020 2x the volume of transactions of the total plastic card load across the planet. Um, and so already you could argue that mobile wallets are the uh, most abundant uh, bank account globally as compared with a bank account you'd get from a bank. So experientially, put your futurist hat on, five, ten years out with these virtual banks in the market, with the Chinese mobile wallets in the market, you know, what do you think it's going to be like in Hong Kong? I, I think it's going to be evolving from what you feel is a bank or a wallet to just a, a super app. You know, we always call it this. I think if I look at outside of Hong Kong, one of the banks that's present, potentially positioned to do this very well is is Grab in Singapore. Or, just or because GoCheck, because so, they just bought a bank yeah, too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really just about being so close to your customer, right? It's, it's just being part of your customer's journey around their savings, their spending, um, their investment decisions. And as long as you're your app or your functionality can weave into that, then you're you're in a pretty good position. The other thing is, you know, we, we talk about the whole idea of a non-interest non income-based model for these VBs um, because they can't really can compete on balance sheets alone. It's not the smartest strategy. But there's so much parent company know-how from the Chinese parents in the peer-to-peer -peer lending space uh, that when they're scraping and using all of these alternative data forms, I think they can tap into that heavily underserviced end of the Hong Kong retail and SME market that are currently not getting funded by traditional banks because of their archaic credit scoring mechanisms that they can start to plug into there without ramping up NPLs. And these are much higher margin interest-based, uh, you know, income streams. And then use that to really understand the full spectrum of your customer spending patterns and data, then the product, you know, push and everything will make a lot more sense as opposed to me still to this this day getting phone calls from random telemarketers saying would you like a loan um, because that's how it works in Hong Kong. I, I don't look at this as just a Hong Kong market. I look at it at the Greater Bay Area and I think we're going to see a lot of mobility across the region. So when you look at the Greater Bay Area, it's going to be over 70 million people. So that's 10 times what just Hong Kong market is. And I think there's a lot of opportunities. And when you when you look at immigration and identity and everything, uh, the Hong Kong government has actually looked towards Ping An as the solution for that cross-border kind of uh, flow. So, so when you go to the border, you use facial recognition to actually get in. And if you have a Hong Kong bank account and everything, you know, you can transport, you can transport that. 
across the region. And right, I'm, I'm, conscious, I'm conscious of time, guys. Let, let's wrap this up. Ben, um, you know, where can we uh, get uh, a copy or um, uh, look at the report branching off the outlook for Hong Kong's virtual banks? Yeah, if you just go to our website, quinlanandassociates.com, and then go to the insights page, you'll see it as one of the tabs there, along with all of our other thought leadership and freely available. You don't have to leave your email, so we will not hound you afterwards. Fantastic. <laughs> um, and uh, we really should, um, you know, get into the whole stand-up thing on our next show when we have you on, Ben. So. Happy to, Brad. Um, but uh, but both of you guys, thanks for joining us uh, all the way from Hong Kong, and thanks for the update on the virtual bank uh, situation there. Cheers, thanks, Brett. Safe travels. Thanks a lot, Brett. You. You've been listening to Breaking Banks. I'm Brett King. We will see you guys next week with another episode of the longest running fintech radio show and podcast in the world, Breaking Banks. See you later. So if you're looking for a partner to help you transform, take a look at FIS. Want to see for yourself? In May, FIS is launching their new annual conference, Emerald. It's a way to learn more about fintech and the latest in cloud, AI, and more. Sign up to FIS Emerald. FIS, advancing the ways the world pays banks and invests. Hi, my name is Dara Tarkowski. I'm the host of the Tech on Reg podcast at Provoke.fm. Tech on Reg explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. We're talking about fintech and reg tech, cannabis and sex tech. Join me and thought leaders from around the world to discuss how to pursue responsible innovation. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.